What's up, Hellcats? Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. In this episode, Jackie is going to tell Melissa about the 1996 burning of the Oakwood Park apartment building in Portland, Oregon. A fire that started in the stairwell tore through the apartment, while the arsonist was closer than police ever anticipated. Please be aware that this episode will discuss drug use, arson, child abuse, and the death of children. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Ooh, That's Creepy podcast. It's me, Melissa, and Jackie (laughs) here for another little episode. And again, we are going to be talking about some arson cases. We are. And today, let's just jump right into it. We're going to be talking about a story from Portland, Oregon. And this occurred in 1996. (gasps) Our birth year. <laughs> Did we cause it? Was it our birth that caused hellfire? That fateful year. Hmm. <laughs> Who knows? But this happened, and we're just going to get right into the event, because that's kind of where the whole story starts. What? It happened at the Oak Oakwood Park Apartments. This was an apartment building that housed mostly working class families or people who were unemployed. It also housed a lot of immigrants who moved to the area at the time because there were a lot of agricultural jobs and just a lot of job opportunities. But there were just a lot of families living this living in this apartment building at the time. And this is in the month of June, if I did not say so already. On the night of June 28th, 1996, residents of the apartment were awakened by people yelling that there was a fire. Oh my god, in an apartment building. Ugh. Could you even imagine in June, it's already hot as hell. No, I would be shook. One woman, her name was Crystal, she said that she had gone to bed and awoken around 1 a.m., And her room was really hot, and her boyfriend looked outside, and I first thought that someone was barbecuing really late, but then realized that it was a fire. Do you know how many floors this building was? Yeah, it was a three-story apartment building, and so it did have a sprinkler system, and there were, like, building codes and all that that basically required that multi- Family dwellings, such as apartment buildings, have fire sprinkler systems installed. But this apartment building had them and they were not working. Oh, no. Yeah, so. That's. Which, I mean, they did say that was kind of common. I guess they weren't, like, really strict with that and they weren't just, like, checked a lot. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things you just assume that there would never be a fire in the building to the point that you would need them, but, I mean, anything can happen. Yeah, I don't know, but regardless, no sprinklers. 
fire investigators obviously did respond pretty quickly, like, just because I think a lot of people were calling and noticing because it's an apartment building. There were hand pool fire alarms, but they were located in the stairwell, and tenants, like, basically realized that the smoke and all that stuff was coming from the stairwell, so that was where the fire was coming from. Oh, that's so messed up. Yeah, is really, really awful. I mean, imagining that somebody obviously set the fire right in How the stairwell. And imagining, you know, then, I mean, obviously you're not stupid. You know, then that the choice is to jump. That's three stories. And well, they said that the fire, it started on the second floor, but it engulfed the stairwell in like minutes. Oh, my goodness. And that leaving on the upper level, you basically, there would have been no way to take a stairwell because it would have been flooded with smoke, obviously, and fire. So, (sighs) tragically, there were fatalities. Um, Patricio Aguilar, he lived in apartment 36, which was on the third floor. I'm not sure his age, but... His wife was 16 years old, named Francisca, and they had a three-month-old baby. This is obviously very traumatic. Um, he, He woke up and tried to open the front door, but realized there were smoke and flames all outside when he opened the front door of their apartment building, so he knew that... All they could do was go to the window. Another family, Araceli and Nicholas Chavez, they were friends staying with uh, the Aguilar family, and they did jump from the bedroom window. Both of them were injured, and they had a three-month-old daughter who tragically died from her injuries. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's horrible. Patricio took his daughter and stood by the window, and he had a childhood friend who had escaped from the apartment building. He was below and said, you know, like, I'll catch the child. So, Oh, my God. Could you I imagine know, this is the like, pressure? Ugh. I know. My heart just sank. I know. This is a lot of pressure. But he did um, drop the child down, and the child was caught and oh. survived, so the child was safe. Patricio did manage to get out and jump out the window. However, his wife sadly did not make it and died in the fire. That is so sad. I I could not even imagine that experience. It really is one of my worst nightmares. But that is such a great father, though, as well, to be able to save your baby and jump out safe. That is true. And sadly, next door in apartment 34... Jeremy Aguilar, I'm not sure if they're related, but they do have, I believe, the same last name. And his wife, Virginia, they did not get up in time. They sadly had four young children that were all under the ages of eight, and they were killed. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, and obviously many, many other people were hurt and injured, Clearly, people had to jump from their windows and all that stuff. There's obviously a lot of families who live in this building. So people say it was very, very traumatic because there were a lot of children who had to witness. 
I mean, a fire is traumatic enough, but hearing people just in panic and people jumping, jumping and maybe someone had to throw you out a window, and uh, it's just really, really sad. Seeing a father have to, th- like, th- throw his infant child from a window and hope someone catches her, I couldn't even imagine seeing all of that. And I feel like, based on the description of the time frame and who was living at this apartment, like, did someone know what kind of people were living at this apartment and targeted it on purpose? Yeah, it was clearly a low-income working class neighborhood so that was the type of people who lived there and uh the apartment kind of the building kind of showed that when firefighters and stuff went there uh there weren't any working fire hydrants and they said that one just burst when they tried to connect to it to get water but they also said that when firefighters got there the scene was it was so hot like one firefighter said his protective mask was warped from the heat it was just, they said it was, like, ridiculously hot. Because it's June and there's a fire rampaging an apartment building. Yeah, I would clearly. pass out if I was a firefighter. I'm pretty sure they said that you basically couldn't get too close or you would at risk. And I wonder how they could even do anything not being able to run in through the stairwell and go upstairs. Yeah. I know. That was another thing that I think they just couldn't get to people in time. So just really, really tragic. After the fire happened, um, obviously there were survivors. Uh, One family, a couple named Tom Martin and Carolyn DeFord, they were interviewed on TV and talked about their son. They were saying that their child... Ray woke them up and they were able to escape and I think wake some other people up and escape as well. So they were saying that their son was a hero. And Ray, the child, he was 11. He said that he thought that the fire had been set by three kids from the neighborhood that were like doing gang activity and stuff. There were a lot of rumors swirling around the time of what happened. Some people said that they saw a man running from the scene in tears right before the fire broke out. Other people said that, you know, it could have been like a tenant who got evicted, who wanted revenge. Mm -hmm. Some people also said that in the laundry room that they thought that one of the dryers had been smoking the past couple days, so maybe it caught fire or something like that. But fire investigators found that it was an arson because they found accelerant at one of the spots in the stairwell. And they said it was also positioned perfectly to turn the stairwell into, like, just a firestorm that would smoke and wake people up and they clearly would not be able to get out. That is such a horrific thing to do. Yeah, it's fucked. Did Ray have any reasoning why he thought it was these three potential gang members from the neighborhood or he just said it could be them i think he just said like people were pressuring me to join a gang so it could be them oh he's 11 yeah that's sad michael eastlick he was the manager of the apartment and he was very overcome with emotion obviously i mean he said that the families who had passed were good people and were well-known and liked by the other tenants and stuff, so it was just really, really tragic. 
And obviously, these kids were elementary school age who had passed, so it was hard. But Michael Eastlick said that he did think he had a suspect who he thought could have done it. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be Ray, the little hero. What? He said that Ray had actually been caught setting fires at least four times before. All of the incidents were kind of minor, though, and had not been reported to the police. But this time he was like, oh, my God. They Were they in the apartment, did he say, or just? I think so. <sighs> so let's talk a bit about Ray DeFord. He does have a bit of a tragic life. When he was just a baby, his dad hit him in the head with a clipboard, which caused an injury that caused him to have brain damage and aggravated uh, behavioral problems for Ray. Oh, my God. Yeah, his dad sucks. He was, like, just a drifter and okay with that. (laughs) This has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but apparently he had a a needle and a spoon tattooed on his arm. So he was like a drug user and I guess okay with getting a needle and a spoon tattooed on his arm. Ray or his dad? His dad. I'm talking oh about his dad. Oh my god. For a minute I was like at huh. 11. Sorry, no. I'm talking about his dad Tom right now. Oh. I should have made that clear. Okay, so his his dad had a... Yeah, we're talking about his dad right now, but his dad was clearly abusive to Ray when Ray was a baby. But about his dad, he's just... Not a good guy. So you know. That's messed up. Another thing about Ray's dad, though, was that in 1969, he was arrested for robbery in New Mexico. And he actually escaped the New Mexico State Penitentiary. Damn. And he kind of, like, bragged about that, too, which isn't smart. (laughs) But that happened. How do you have details on how he escaped? He escaped, I believe, with his roommate. Um, I'm not exactly sure how exactly he got out. Uh, He stole a car when he did get out and like he hitchhiked. And then when someone picked him up, he stole the car and he eventually just like got out of there. (laughs) Okay. Wow. And made his way up to Oregon. There was when he got to Oregon, he worked as a cook and eventually met Carolyn DeFord, who is Ray's mother, and they had birth. They had birth. (laughs) They gave birth to Ray on February 13th, 1985. So with that backstory, Ray clearly had not the best parents. Well, we don't know about Carolyn. Not Mm. the best dad. I think that she, I'm not sure if she was abusive herself, but I, there were people who said her parenting was not the best. She had been convicted of harassing a neighbor, so she had, like, criminal charges, but people had just said that Ray had been bad before and they had brought it up to Carolyn and she just didn't punish him or she would just laugh when... Do you know what disability she had or, like, she just... just mental... Like she had some mental disabilities. mental learning disabilities. I'm not exactly sure. That's but, really sad, though. That like 
Not that we're not saying, obviously, too, if you have mental disabilities, you can't be a bad mother or something like that. But she clearly needed to get some outside help if she's not understanding that her son is setting these fires. Like, that's a call for attention. Yeah. But, I mean, Ray's dad was just definitely abusive. People said that they had witnessed Tom shooting Ray in the leg with a BB gun. So, I mean... I also don't really know why no one called the cops on this type of behavior. And Ray maybe could have gotten taken out of the home, but that's a different story. Yeah. But the DeFord family, they were not very well liked when they did move to the Oakwood Park apartment building. They had moved there in 1991, so they had lived there, like, for a couple years before this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. But people just didn't really care for them, especially Tom. And as I said, you know, Ray had some problems. He was kind of known as a bully. He would just kind of, like, bully the other kids. And he carried a little pocket knife, which obviously I'm sure people found odd because he's only 11. But people said it, he he was bullied himself in school, so it is sad. People would make fun of him and say that he was dirty, hmm. which is just really, really sad because clearly if kids are coming to school dirty, they can't help that. But we all know, again, that kids will be kids. They don't understand. Yeah, it's just it's But sad. it's just tragic because Ray gets bullied and then he bullies other people, so... It's sad because I feel like he definitely is just, like, needing some love from his parents who are just, like, not in the place to give it to him. And that's just sad because I always, I feel like, too, especially kids at that young age who are already, like, trying to bully, you know something usually more is going on at home. Yeah. And, but people did say that his parents, like, didn't give him consequences, I don't think, or, like, Correct, yeah, his behavior when he would do, when he would bully other kids and parents would, like, bring that up. But there were teachers and other adults who, like, just had come into contact with Ray that said that he was a sweet child and caring and they just had thought that he needed love and that he came from a bad upbringing, but they what they witnessed was that he was a good kid, which I'm sure in school it would be different. I mean, if he's getting bullied, then yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's different there. But I'm not sure who exactly knows this, but apparently Ray had set fires in his own apartment, apparently on the kitchen, on the counter in the kitchen. But once again, his parents like didn't punish him or anything. Well, probably the landlord that, what was his name? Michael. He probably was the one who knew. They probably had to tell him to deal with it. He had to yeah. make a repair, I'm sure. Yeah, and so in one time in 1994, Ray had set fire in a recycling bin at the apartment. A neighbor whose name was Raleigh Hauk said that on like around in 1994, his son had come into his apartment and said that there was a fire and... Raleigh had went out to see and that he found Ray there and Ray admitted to setting the fire that they found. No, Ray. Raleigh had actually told the police about that right away, but he had been convicted of some stuff before. So I just felt like for some reason police didn't find him to be credible, but... Why would he lie? 
I know. I mean, what would he have to lie about that? One of the detectives interviewed Ray pretty soon after the fire just because, you know, the manager of the apartment basically said that I suspect this 11-year-old kid. Yeah. Bold claim. Yeah. The detective's name was, his last name was O'Connell, and he explained to Ray, you know, that they were there to chat. He told them that Ray wasn't under arrest, you could leave at any time, all that stuff. Ray kind of, like, said that he knew, like, he knew the gig. He said he watched cops a lot. Oh, my goodness. And so he said that he knew the thing. But he did say that, as he had said before, he thought that the fire was started by some kids who maybe lived in the apartment complex. He did speculate that whoever started the fire could have used flammable materials such as car oil, kitchen oil, or rubbing alcohol, which is pretty specific. Yeah, those are probably... I feel like the exact items they find at the scene. But eventually, Ray said that he was bored with the questions and wanted to leave. So the detective said that was fine and asked if they could talk again, I think, the next day. And Ray said, okay, yeah, sure. The next day. So I believe that all the people at the apartment building who lost their housing were put up like in a hotel I'm not sure if they paid for it themselves or whatever but they were put up in this hotel and the next day the fire marshal responds to a fire alarm at the hotel in which Ray and his parents were staying and the hotel manager reported that Ray had pulled the fire alarm So the fire marshal interviewed Ray about it and he said that he accidentally triggered the alarm. I don't know. They're pretty hard to trigger. And when the fire marshal asked Ray, you know, well, didn't, like, your apartment complex get caught on fire? Isn't that basically why you're here? Ray said that someone had set the fires in the stairwell using rubbing alcohol. Why are you saying that? Okay, well, he's 11, so I guess I'm not going to even comment on his behavior because he's literally a child, but... Yeah. Police searched Ray's apartment that day and they found burn portions of a sheet from his bed two lighters rubbing alcohol and a squirt gun that contained a liquid that smelled like alcohol it's just so sad too because where are his parents right now yeah i don't know how the how do you not notice all those things rubbing alcohol smells so strong where is he yeah two lighters where is he getting all this stuff from i really don't know the next day, the detective, after that happened, goes to talk to Ray again. They kind of discuss Miranda warnings, asking Ray if he understands what that is. And that Ray, yeah, says he watches cops. He, like, gets the whole thing. He says he understands his rights. And he did sign a written warning that said that he understood his Miranda rights and... The officer asked him to read it out loud, and Ray could, but he did have trouble, like, reading some of the words. So, I mean, remember, he does have some, like, um, behavioral and, I'm assuming, brain issues, learning disabilities from the injury that was caused to him. I forgot about that, him with his father in the clipboard. Yeah, which is, like, messed up. 
That's so horrible because he needs like extra love and extra care, I'm sure, in all different aspects after that. And to just think he's like not even being paid attention to where his parents don't notice alcohol in a lighter. Yeah, it is really sad. But this time, Detective O'Connell kind of just applies the pressure and just says, this has been an extensive investigation involving the police, the fire department, and the ATF, and we've spent a lot of resources on this case, and you know what? We think you did it. They kind of just flat out lay that out to Ray. And at first, Ray denies it, but eventually he kind of makes some statements that are, like, conflicting. And then Detective O'Connell said, who should be responsible for telling your parents? And Ray said, I'll tell them. Uh. And the detective asked Ray if he meant to hurt anybody, and he said no. And Ray said that he was hungry and then he had a headache, so they ordered a pizza. And while they were waiting for the pizza to get there, they kind of just kept talking, and Detective O'Connell asked Ray if he used matches or a lighter to set the fire, and Ray said, why don't you just guess? Wow. But Detective O'Connell wasn't playing games. Detective O'Connell said that Ray went into what he described as a false whimpering stage during... I'm just going to read this literally from the court case. Okay. A false whimpering stage during which he made strange noises. Several minutes later, he suddenly and instantly snapped out of it and said, Okay, I'll level with you. Oh, wow. And he's 11? Yeah. Oh. So that's a little strange. It's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe because he watched Cops, he was thinking something that, like True. that. He could just be, like, trying to be a character he saw on Cops. I don't know. What was the detective's response to that? <laughs> I think he was just like, okay. And Is the pizza here? <laughs> Ray said that he would describe the fire if detect if the detective would keep it a secret, but he said, you know, I cannot make that promise. And Ray did ask if he would be allowed to leave if he answered three questions, but the detective was like, you already implicated yourself. I kind of can't allow you to leave. I'm sorry, but if you've seen cops, you should know it does not work that way, unfortunately. Oh, it's so yeah. sad, though, because he's just a child. It is really sad. And, I mean, I don't know why his parents are letting him talk to the... I was just going to say Without that. a lawyer at this point, but... Are you allowed to question an 11-year-old? Yeah, if your parents allow it, you can. But I would not, especially dad is technically on the run from New Mexico, so... Oh, my God. But, anyway. Ray eventually did explain... What happened with the fire that he described as an experiment? He said that he used matches that he found in the stairwell and took a stack of newspapers from the laundry room and placed them in the middle of the carpet near the door. And then he placed a match on the newspaper, lit a match, and, you know, (laughs) just put the match on the newspaper. As simple as that. Yeah. It is pretty crazy that... He said that he didn't use any type of fuel to start the fire. So, I mean, that could happen. Newspaper. Do investigators believe that? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, they found the lighter fluid there. But 
regardless, Ray sent that the fire got out of control extremely quickly. And, you know, there was kind of no going back. So he said he just went back to his apartment really quickly and laid down on the living room floor. And he hoped that it would calm down and just blow out, but clearly it did not. And he said within minutes there was screaming and fire alarms going off. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty hard. And the detectives, they were nice, and they said, you know, this must be really hard for you to, like, get off your chest and say, and... Of course, now they're playing nice. At no time, though, really before this, did Ray say that he didn't want to talk to detectives, though. He was kind of just, like, giving this all up. But the detective then asked if Ray would want to give a recorded statement, and Ray said yes. And when they began, and the detective read Ray his Miranda warnings again, Ray began and, like, was going to start saying how he started the fire all over again. But he didn't go into detail. And when the detective was like, aren't you forgetting what we just talked about? Yeah. Ray said, no, I'm done. Like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Well, he didn't say that. He said, no, we're done. But the detective said, no, sit down. We're not done. Stay here. What happened that night? Tell us. And the interview continued. The detective told Ray that he would be taken into custody and, you know, said, do you want to talk to your parents? And Ray's dad came in and at first Ray denied it, but he eventually confessed and said that, you know, he did it. And he was transported to the sheriff's office where he confessed again at the sheriff's office and said that he had used rubbing alcohol to accelerate the fire. Oh, my gosh. I mean... I, I'm not a fire expert, but I assume that a stack of newspapers could not spread three stories, I feel like. Yeah. At a point, <laughs> they're going to disintegrate, and it's going to stop. And he already had the rubbing alcohol, so it's not much of a stretch. Did his parents have any reaction when he confessed? They claimed that the detectives had coerced their son into a confession, and Carolyn Ray's mom believed that he Ray was innocent until she passed away of cancer in 2000, which was only four years after it happened, which is sad. Wow. And nine months after the fire, Detective O'Connell had the duty of arresting Tom Martin and sending him back to New Mexico. Oh, my goodness. He was released though in 1999, and he returned to Oregon, and who knows what he did after. Ray did go on trial. I believe he was the youngest person in Oregon to go on trial for murder and arson. Did they try him as an adult then, I imagine? I think that they... That's where I'm exactly not sure, because it says that he was put into the juvenile justice system. But there was a lot of legal stuff going on with Ray's statements, Because at that one point, he did say, we're done. Mm, Yeah. So when they did take it to trial and they wanted to do murder and arson, the judge, I think he said that they could only limit what Ray said to before he said, we're done. 
Oh, yikes. Yeah. And just there's just a lot of other legal stuff. So it like the court case is kind of confusing. So if you just want to know more about that, you can obviously. But there was it, it's confusing, but also interesting. There was like a legal part that said it couldn't be arson if they didn't demonstrate that the newspapers were property and they said that they didn't think that the newspapers had value so they weren't property because the newspapers were like disposed of there it's just like a lot of legal stuff but legally for arson they couldn't prove that he meant to set an arson because the newspapers weren't property wow okay so I'm not even going to go into all of that because it'll just get confusing. Mm-hmm. But that happened too. But they did say during the trial that Ray was doodling and clicking his pen and did not pay attention and was playing tic-tac-toe with his attorney. And at one point, I guess, got ink all over his attorney's suit who scolded him. Oh, bad, bad, Ray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that doesn't look good, but, I mean, he is still, again, a child, so I can't blame him for not wanting to sit there and listen to a court case. In the end, because the state cannot prove all the elements of first-degree arson, they also cannot prove felony murder. So he was initially sentenced to 13 years in prison because, you know, at first they did find him responsible for the arson and the murder, but then on appeal, they said no. So in 2001, that was when the appellate stuff resolved, and they said that Ray would have to remain in state custody until he turned 25. So they appealed because of the newspaper thing? Yeah. Okay. Which is a good point. Mm -hmm. So there was, like, a lot of legal stuff going on. But eventually, like, they just really didn't keep up with the story. I mean, first of all, this happened in the 90s, so it's all going off newspapers. But when that happened in 2001, they just didn't keep up with it. So there's really not anything known to what happened to Ray or his family after that. Especially since the conviction was overturned. I mean... What happened when it was overturned? He had to just stay in a mental facility basically a state like some sort of under state supervision until he turned 25 and then like exactly because i mean he still did what he did oh so he was still criminally responsible i guess it's just so confusing like what exactly did they over what exactly did they overturn when they appealed they overturned the count of Arson, like felony murder and arson. Oh, but the okay. it was just that the attorney general's office said we're not setting him free. Okay. He still has to stay in some sort of custody until he turns twenty five. Wow! And so now he is out and could be wherever. Yeah, I mean, who knows? They just stopped following the case. Really, when that happened, I don't know what happened to his dad or. His mom, yeah, passed away in 2001. It's sad because I wonder if his dad even had any contact with him when he went back to New Mexico. I wonder that too. And it's also sad they didn't follow up on it because I wonder if Ray is a changed man. I wonder if he now as a grown adult feels differently 
I wonder if being in a juvenile facility was good for him, or I hope it didn't have the opposite where it was a bad experience and, like... I hope it worked out for the better. I really do. I hope he got the love and, like, I'm sure he got therapy and all that sort of stuff. I hope he did at least. It's just really tragic that he was 11 and killed these people. And I don't want to think that he did do it on purpose, but he had set multiple fires in the past. So he clearly knows what happens when you set a fire. And if you're going to set it in the stairwell, I just feel like you had some intention of blocking off people's exits. Yeah. But he obviously had no parental direction. And in a child's mind, I could see at 11 being like, I'll go in the stairway because no one in the hall will see me. Maybe he didn't even think about it. Like, it'll, you know, light the whole thing up. At first, it sounded so sinister. But I could see how, as a mischievous child, you're like, I'll go behind the stairway. Like, no one will see me do it. And then I'll just run back down the hall to my room. Yeah. And even if he did mean to start the fire, if he wants a lot of cops, it, it doesn't seem real to people. Even if people die, unless you're watching it happen, like, I'm sure once it all occurred, he was like, oh, shit. I mean, he's 11 years old. It's not going to really set in, like, I set a fire that killed multiple people and children. I know. And I know we're kind of, like, shitting on his parents, but at the same time, I just don't understand how at 11 he's watching cops having access to rubbing alcohol and lighters and things like that. It's just really sad because... I just wish that if you... And his dad's abusing him. Just really sad. But at the same time, his dad's abusing him, but his parents give him no consequences, which is something that is a little strange because usually in abuse cases, consequences is like a big thing. So it's just odd. It seems like his dad didn't want to be a parent at all. And then just once he was a parent, got annoyed at the fact that he was and didn't want to deal with it. I mean, I don't know personally, but that's what it seems like to me because you're making no effort. I agree. It's really sad. And as much as I want to blame Ray for what he did, he was a child and... You know, I think it's safe to say when you're a child, it does fall back on the parenting because I mm-hmm. am not going to let anyone tell me that an 11 year old, I, you know, better not to set a fire. But I don't I don't think he meant to kill people and things like that. I think just again, it was a cry for attention, like the whole circumstances. But and if he set multiple fires, the parents, that's their fault for not knowing. I like I said, though, I hope that he. I hope that whatever, like, juvenile system he was in was a good one where he did get more love. I hope that he was able to go to therapy for his brain injury and things like that. And I hope that it could set him on the right path. I really do. Because he was so young, he really Mm -hmm. could be a totally different person and change your life around. And I'm sorry if the legalese was a bit confusing, but if you guys do want to know more about the legal stuff, obviously I'll link the sources and you guys can read it if you want read all the in-depth about the legal arguments which were interesting but it is interesting when things like this happen when someone's so young because there's always so much legal drama back and forth over what you can't allow what you can't this and that and the stuff with the newspaper was just so strange yeah that is crazy they must have had a good defense attorney on that i know right which is hmm because I don't think the parents had money, so it was probably a public defender. But anyway. He was bored. (laughs) He did a good job. (laughs) 
so that's that on that. Let us know if you guys have heard that story before, because I never had. I've never heard of an 11-year-old setting a fire that killed multiple people. That's so tragic. I know. What a tragic tale. Thanks, Jackie. I'm very sorry. No, that's okay. That was a good case. I'd never heard of that before, and... Yeah, let us know if you guys have heard of this case. Let us know if you know anything similar of arson cases and things like that. Um, if there are any parents listening, maybe just, like, hug your kid a little tighter. <laughs> if I had one, I would. I'm going to go call my mom. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so sad. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.